Want an everyday hack that saves you money? Join AAA for the Savings Hack Pack, an amazing combination of AAA benefits worth over $1,000. Join today for all the savings hacks at AAA.com slash save more. Fentanyl. It could be hiding anywhere, including in your house, including in your medicine cabinet, or maybe at a friend's house when you're hanging out, playing games, and get offered a pill. Don't take chances. If a drug didn't come from a pharmacy directly to you, you can find fentanyl using a simple strip you can pick up at your local pharmacy. Don't take it until you test it, because fentanyl can be hiding anywhere. Brought to you by the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Mental Disabilities. What they don't want you to know with your host, Mr. Noriega. Is the government keeping secrets? You bet they are. And here, those secrets are revealed. Teacher, seven years researching the common core of the education system. Author Noriega. What they don't want you to know. We got some fabulous guests. I've got on the phone Wayne Hill. Uh, he's the founder, one of the co-founders of the Independent American Party. Uh, Wayne, can you say hello? I can say hello and I can say hi and all those kind of good words. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, fantastic. We're glad to have you. I know some incredible events have been happening up there in Utah where the party was founded. And so, you know, welcome to you guys. I know it's late night over there, 1130, uh, 1141, actually. So thank you for coming on so late. Wayne uh, is not only a founder of the Independent American Party, a co-founder, but he is also uh, very politically active. There have been a whole bunch of recent events that have happened up there in Utah that we want to talk about this time. Um, but we'll talk about those in a second because I want to introduce uh, our other two live uh, co-hosts tonight, which are which is Tony and Randy. And uh, first of all, I'll talk about Randy for a second. He was on the show last week. But Randy, um, he is involved right now in writing a bunch of books, a children's book, another uh, science fiction book. Etc. And just one of the one of the most intelligent people I know. So I love talking to him uh, about every subject, political and whatnot. And we also have Tony. Uh, he is an expert. I've known Tony now for about five years. He is an expert at the hand radio, the shortwave radios. That might be our only means of communication in the next, uh, uh, you know, upcoming weeks, months, or years. Who knows? So. Um, first, I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves, uh, starting with Randy. Randy, uh, can you introduce yourself for, for uh, 30 seconds? Uh, right now, I'm living in Hawaii um, in the process of trying to get back to the United States. Tony's been my friend for a long time. Uh, and um, when I first got into ham radio, he's here going to talk about ham radio. He mentioned that uh, he and his father helped hook, hook up a ham radio in my truck. and. I talked with them a lot on it. It was great. They did a great job. I enjoy ham radio. I think that uh, that is uh, very important. Um, my radio right now is in Montana. I'm in the process of giving it to my brother, uh, and then I have to buy myself another one. But uh, I don't have one here in Hawaii at the time. And um, that's I'm here for a short while fixing up my house and. Uh, trying to sell it because uh, all my kids and grandkids have moved back to the mainland, U.S. mainland, and uh, there's no family out here that makes this, although it's a wonderful place, not a high on my list of places I want to live for a long period of time. I want to be uh, close you, to family. 
close to family and friends, especially this time. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue with that, Randy. Tony, go ahead and give us uh, uh, enough on you. Tell us a little bit about you and go about 30 seconds. All right. My name is uh, Tony. My call sign is Whiskey Hotel 6, Delta Victor, India. And I'm uh, living here on the Big Island. I'm involved with the Big Island Amateur Radio Club as a director on the executive board. Also the volunteer organizations active in disasters. Uh, so I'm the chair of the communications committee uh, and also the amateur radio emergency service, which uh, coordinates a lot of the uh, amateur radio uh, emergency preparedness exercises statewide. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, welcome to all four, all, all well, welcome to us four, right? <laughs> welcome right. to all three of you. And um, what, what we wanted to talk about, if that's okay with all our hosts, if that's okay with you, Wayne and Randy, um, I wanted to start out with Tony, uh, give us a little bit of expertise on the on the hand radio subject. Um, is that okay with everybody? We start, start with hand radios? Sounds good to me. Wayne, are you there? I always like to ham it up. Sounds good. Sounds good. So um, we are in a time that's strange. You know, we, we're feeling presidential heat. Everybody's feeling it. And on top of that, uh, the disasters that are happening all over the world. I myself survived Hurricane Maria uh, three years ago. Just things are happening everywhere. People are preparing. People are wanting to be prepared emotionally, spiritually, and of course physically. Uh, tell us a little bit about hand radios. Why it, Why is it a good idea in the first place to have hand radios, Tony? So uh, many people don't realize how fragile our traditional communication systems are, especially cell phone service, but uh, even wired landlines. Uh, there's many, many different things that can go wrong. Even our recent lava disaster here uh, cut out communications to a big segment of the island. And so with uh, amateur radio, you've got a lot of options for talking uh, locally or even worldwide. Uh, depending on your equipment and your license capabilities. So uh, you can use amateur radio point to point, which means no infrastructure required. All you need is a radio and a battery, uh, or you can use it in other modes, but uh, it's the communication means of last resort that's always gonna work if you know what you're doing. Well, that's that sounds fantastic. You know, um, I was myself in uh, Hurricane Maria it's a category five, it hit Puerto Rico, and a lot of people were doing this, you know. They were, you know, looking up what's what's going on. I can't get a hold of my family members, <laughs> you know, and that kind of thing happened and stayed that way for months. Uh, it was about two months, but it, in three weeks, there was absolutely no, no signal whatsoever. The towers had come down. Uh, there was uh, no no communication of any sort in any way. And so if you wanted to get a signal, uh, some kind of cell phone signal, after three weeks, after everybody was wondering if you were dead, then maybe you could go to the topmost part of the island, hang out on the freeway, and hold your cell phone up in the sky. So as for myself, I know what you're talking about, Tony, that if you want to find yourself uh, in, in a situation where you know you're going to be able to communicate and get the late, latest communication, be able to know what's happening in the world. In case of an emergency, my goodness, 
hand radio is the way to go. Uh, Tony, can you tell us how easy is it to set up, uh, uh, let's say, the basic system? The basic system. Well, I can go into as much depth as you'd like here. Um, the thing about uh, amateur radio, also known as ham radio, is it does require a little bit of knowledge and uh, skill and practice. So it's not like the other radio services, uh, like the family radio service where you just select a channel and transmit. Uh, but the basic level is the technician class level. That's the first license most people will get. And typically, they operate on uh, handheld radios, such as this uh, $30 Baofeng unit. Uh, or you can go a little bit higher end, uh, like the ICOM units, around 150 to $200. But the three things that uh, you need to be able to do with this is you need to be able to know what frequency you're going to operate on. So in simplex mode, that's point to point, one radio to another. And so basically you pick an appropriate frequency. For example, the national calling frequency is 146.520. You put that into your radio. And as long as someone else is within range on that frequency, that's all you have to do to transmit. Uh, so simplex transmission from one radio to another is the simplest way. However, your range is going to be dependent on your terrain. So in a typical scenario with a little rubber duck antenna like this, uh, if you have forest and buildings around you blocking your signal, you might only get three to five miles. Uh, when only, I was, he says. Only. That was my yeah. exact question. Was, how far can you go? Because I know I bought a couple of walkie-talkies. I thought, you know, if some disaster happens, I don't want the same thing happening over there in Puerto Rico, uh, not to be able to communicate at least to my wife, know where she is, uh, or to my kids. Bought a couple of walkie-talkies, and like you're saying, the forest situation, the trees, etc. that being said, if you go up to five miles, and it did it, it went 500 yards at best. <laughs> you know, well, so when you're talking about five miles, five miles with trees, I think that's fantastic. Now, this radio right here is not a ham radio. This is a family radio, and it operates at a half watt. Now, typically, these radios, you notice this one has a larger antenna, and the antenna makes all the difference. This particular radio is a 5-watt radio, and most handhelds are going to be 5-watt radios. A mobile radio or a base station will typically be 20 to 50 watts, sometimes higher. And you can easily get 20, 30, 40 miles, depending on terrain. Now, I went to the top of Moana Loa with this radio, with a rubber duck antenna, and I was up at about 14,000 feet. I made a 212-mile contact on this little handheld radio, all the way to Oahu, to a guy that was on the mountaintop over there. So it really depends on terrain, elevation, antenna type, and frequency, what frequency band you're on. Uh, this is a line of sight transmitter. So it's gotta, the signal's gotta go directly from source to destination. High frequency radios, you can bounce signals off the ionosphere and potentially go all the way around the world. So there's lots of different modes and ways of transmitting many different bands that you can operate on. And like I said, it takes a little bit of education. You need to learn about the electromagnetic spectrum 
and uh, learn what frequencies you want to operate on and also learn about repeaters. So amateur radio clubs around the country and around the world, we put radio stations up on mountaintops and you can use these little handheld or mobile transmitters to hit a mountaintop station where it will receive your signal and rebroadcast it at higher power and reach a much greater distance. So you need to learn how to program repeater frequencies into your handheld and that's what's uh, going to get you off and running with a uh, good experience on your, your radio. Randy, what is your take? Uh, I asked the question to, to Wayne about, you know, if, if we're over here, uh, something happens, you know, radio, uh, the, the, the regular cell towers aren't working, aren't operational. Uh, somebody like you, why do you, why do you think it would be important to have this kind of system, these kind of hand radios. What, what is your take on that, Randy? Oh, for me, uh, I, I think it's a great thing. Um, I think it's essential. Um, one of the one of the magazines I routinely read had an article on how important uh, portable ham radio is, and uh, in your you know emergency kits and things, so that you can uh, take take it with you. Uh, I had one in my truck that's called a mobile unit. Mine was a, a 50 watt transmitter. As, as long as I had line of sight, I could communicate with Tony and his family from, you know, 10, to 10 20, 30 miles away. It was, it was very easy to do. Um, there again, uh, in, in 2018, when the lava was flowing here, the cell towers went down and landlines went down and uh, computer networks went down and I was in places and went and visited people where the only communication was AM radio uh, from from their house and from their location. Um, it's just the way to go. Or it's just an essential thing in an emergency. So, so let's take this scenario, Tony, for you to, as the expert, to answer to us. Um, something has just come through, either rioting or a big hurricane like happened to me or, uh, you know, maybe a big earthquake or something. And for some odd reason, uh, you know, people, people might think that there's always going to be a cell phone available or some kind of signal. Can you explain to us? The technicalities of why, or if you know, or or why those mainstream uh, communication devices aren't going to be working all the time. Is there? Can you explain to the regular person why why my cell phone might not be reliable? Absolutely. So um, both cell phones and wired lines have their problems. For the cell phone network. Uh, an actual cell phone tower or antenna can get blown down or fall down in a hurricane or an earthquake. The cell phone tower site can lose power and they have some battery backup power, but only a certain amount. And what's even more problematic is to save money, the, uh, the phone companies do not build out their cell phone system with sufficient capacity to carry the volume of calls that would happen during an emergency. So they have enough capacity to support a certain number of people talking at the same time. But in an emergency, everyone wants to get on their cell phones all at the same time, and it doesn't have the bandwidth to do that. 
So there's actually services now that uh, government uh, actors can subscribe to, uh, civil defense workers and FEMA and things like that, that will give them priority access to the limited resources on the cell system. And they get in, but the rest of the public will get locked out. Uh, so they get privileged access to those cell systems. Of course, uh, in any kind of natural disaster, uh, the landlines are going to be taken out from, uh, you know, like in Hurricane Maria, there was hundreds of telephone poles cutting off power, cutting off internet and phone service down on the, on the ground. And I followed that situation. It took a very long time, many, many months for some communities to get uh, services back. Uh, so yeah, uh, they they used VHF radios to communicate, and they relayed messages across the island, and that was a uh, a lifesaver, literally. So uh, yeah, cell phones are not reliable. They are the first service that's going to go down. So I, I have a question, Tony. If uh, everything went down here um, with your ham radio, would you be able to contact? the U.S. mainland, like, you know, California or Washington, D.C. or something like that, to let them know yeah. what's going on? Are, you're, you're capable of doing that, right? Absolutely. We have multiple means of doing that, in fact. So we have high-frequency radios that we operate on various bands, and we have to find the correct band that will work under given atmospheric conditions and basically bounce a signal off the ionosphere. We do it all the time. Uh, we can also bounce VHF signals off satellites and the International Space Station. We do that uh, routinely when it comes uh, overhead. Uh, so those are three different ways that we can get a signal out. In addition, we have a radio email system. So we have a system called WinLink that we've been testing and exercising with for uh, about six months now. Uh, and what it does is it allows us to transmit hook our computer to a radio and send an email message through the radio uh, using one of several different modes. That message can go into a Windlink station, which will then rebroadcast it on high frequency to a network of Windlink stations. And they have those stations all around the world. They have battery backup power. They typically have solar and or generator power. And those stations remain online in grid down situations all the time. In fact, we test them that way. We actually unplug the internet, shut off the grid power, and make sure that we can get email messages out as well as uh, voice messages. So basically you're talking that unless it's a worldwide event like a major explosion of, of the uh, Yosemite, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, up there, the, the uh, Yellowstone, Yellowstone uh, super volcano, and that uh, rattles the whole earth, unless it's a major worldwide that everybody's feeling at the same time, if you own a average hand radio system, you're going to be able to communicate and know what's going on, given any disaster, rioting, uh, you know, hurricane, uh, earthquake, whatever's happening, you're at least going to be able to communicate and know, know what's going on. As long as you've learned how to use your equipment properly, and also keep in mind that this is not a single-player sport here. We've got to have teams to work with. Uh, so you need to know the ham radio operators around you. 
because if you don't have the capability to get out a signal on the frequency that you need to use, you can always relay that message to another ham radio operator who does have the capability of reaching the destination that you need to reach. Also to like a relay system, I, I can reach you and then you can help me reach the next person and so on like a race. Almost. Right. Yeah. Now imagine Wayne, because you're on the political side of it, um, you think that something might happen or might be coming up, uh, you know, with these elections or whatnot, that uh, people might need something like this uh, radio, handheld radio system to be able to communicate with each other, uh, you know. What, what do you think about the political atmosphere happening? Do you think that that, that might have some uh, merit? Well, yeah, certainly. And also, you ought to have a weapon <laughs> nowadays. I, yeah. uh, um, I want to ask Tony a, a technical question. I want to say, Tony, uh, we, we've been mentioning disasters and this kind of thing. But what about the technical side of it? You know, and political, you know, with this election and stuff, couldn't there be some hackers? Couldn't there be some kind of a, a worldwide network type deal that just makes the uh, commonplace system, the average cell phone, uh, not work, whereas that wouldn't affect the hand radio? Absolutely. Not only the cell phone towers, but the Internet itself. Uh, you know, Tell that, us about that. Then. There are many ways to prevent the in internet from functioning, regional or even uh, widespread. Uh, denial of service attacks are not that hard to launch. Basically, that's where you're flooding the internet with so much traffic that legitimate people cannot get their communications to work properly. And we've already seen a few instances where that's happened. It can not only take down individual websites, but uh, whole carriers like Spectrum, for example, could be targeted, uh, or AT&T. And uh, there can uh, be attacks that could take out the entire internet by flooding it with so much junk traffic that legitimate communications don't get through. So we've actually addressed that on the amateur radio side. We have a uh, new technology that we're deploying right now across the Hawaiian island chain called the Amateur Radio Emergency Data Network. And it's basically an intranet that can be completely separate from the internet, but it operates all across radio. So it's like our own private little internet. We can do similar things, uh, host web pages or uh, communicate by voice over internet protocol, uh, which links the island chain together. And we're building that out right now. Uh, it, so it's essentially a private network that is run by private individual who are licensed ham radio operators. We use uh, very high bandwidth uh, up in the gigahertz range of frequencies so that we can get high speed data networks. We have battery backup power and links that we're putting in between the islands. So we're building that out just for this type of emergency situation. So it would be uh, like an intranet, kind of how the intranet started back when the military was in, in charge of it. That they had uh, just it was an intranet kind of situation before it went worldwide. But my question, a little bit more technical, coming back to is that is hand radio then um, protected or or excluded from these kind of attacks? In other words, if somebody's coming in 
and taking over the internet or taking over Verizon or whatever it might be, doing hand radio separate from that so that it won't be affected. So some uh, functionality of ham radio has been designed to work with the internet. Uh, so for example, we have a uh, type of digital mode radio called DMR, digital mode radio, which uses the internet to tie stations together. And that type of system might be impacted by an internet down situation. Uh, we have another network called the Hawaii Mainland All-Star Network, which currently uses the public internet to connect our repeater towers together. So if the internet went down, each of our repeaters would be operating in standalone mode, which means we could transmit you know, around this side of the island, but we might not be able to get a voice transmission on that mode to another island. Uh, so there are some vulnerabilities in ham radio, but we always have the option of going point to point, bypassing the infrastructure. So we still have a means of communications, no matter what happens to the internet. So it's kind of like throwing a big switch and saying, you know, that, that system's failed, the regular public communication, the internet's down, we're pulling the switch, so to speak, and now we are independent. Exactly like that. In fact, the WinLink radio email system that I mentioned, it will use the internet if the internet's available. And if it can't get a communication through on the internet, it automatically switches to high frequency and sends it out that way. Uh, so it's designed to withstand problems in the internet. Wow. Hey, Tony, Tony, is it? Uh, do you have a class you teach? You sound like you know it all. So I would like to teach, take a class if you don't mind shipping it over to Utah. Well, um, unfortunately, not right at the time. Um, I'm kind of tied up with committees. But there are a lot of very good educational resources. Uh, if you just go to uh, YouTube and you type in WinLink, uh, you will see a number of tutorials that will talk about that system. The challenge is, is there's so many different uh, moving parts to amateur radio. That there's a hundred different topics that you could uh, that you could look at, uh, and there are a lot of good classes spread around the country. Typically, you would go to your local radio club, amateur radio club, if you don't know. Uh, about your local club, go to the American Radio Relay League. Their website is ARRL.org, and they have a uh, information that will give you all you need to know about how to get licensed and how to pass the, the test for your technician class license, uh, as well as uh, lots of publications and videos and podcasts that will teach you on a wide range of uh, amateur radio related topics. Awesome, thank you. And Tony, you said uh, you, you called out your call sign, which I'd like to put up here just on a, on a, on a quote on the right side here on our, on our screen uh, for anybody watching to check that out. But what was that call sign again, Tony? Well, it's on the screen there Whiskey Hotel 6 oh, Delta. There it Victory. is. There it is. Yeah, yeah you're right. WA6BDI. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it here also. Okay, well, I'm putting it up on the right side as well. Uh, but yeah. so when you have when when, when you want to get on I know Tony that you get with a lot of people across the United States you, you get on these uh, uh, you know shows or whatever it might be 
how does somebody reach you? How does somebody get uh, talking with you and the other radio people? I mean, obviously, there's tens of thousands of people out there, but uh, but but how does one particularly get in touch with your group? Uh, do they just have to know the call sign, or if you want to, you know, use your your radio and then say, "Hey, I'd like to go on Tony's uh, group, see if he's on, see if he's on the." Uh, you know, he's live or whatever. I'd like to listen to the conversation. How do you do that? So it all comes down to where a given operator likes to hang out. There's some people uh, that operate mainly on high frequency. And so we hold uh, nets where people just get together and uh, give their call sign and name and, and chat with each other. Personally, uh, I monitor mostly local uh uh, repeaters because disasters tend to be local in nature and that's what I'm focused on. There is one uh, larger network that I monitor routinely. It's called the Hawaii Mainland All-Star Network and basically there's uh, a number of stations all linked together across Hawaii as well as several uh, points on the mainland, primarily the western United States. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you go to allstarlink.org, that's allstarlink.org. This is for ham radio operators, anyone who's licensed, can uh, find out frequencies of all-star repeaters in their location. And you transmit into any all-star repeater, and that transmission will be broadcast across the entire network, uh, including the repeater at my house. So uh, basically, if you were to call out my call sign on the All-Star Hawaii Mainland All-Star Network, uh, I'm likely going to be monitoring and answering there. Uh, also, you can go to a website, qrz.com. That's QuebecRomeoZulu.com, which has a lookup by call sign. So you can put in my call sign there and uh, find out a lot more information. Uh, so that's one of the ways that ham radio operators connect worldwide. You know, you get the call sign, the the dot uh, org, right? Allstarlink.org. Is that spelled correctly there on the on the yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, great. So that that would be the the link once you get licensed. But so it looks like Randy has a question here. Randy? Oh no, no. I just I just agree with everything Tony's talking about. Uh, the no matter where you go. You can talk to somebody face-to-face -face who is going to love to talk to you about ham radio and help you learn everything you need to know so you can get your license, take the test. People people that are ham radio, amateur radio operators, they love to, to um, what do you call it, interface and coordinate and uh, help people out. And it's, it's just it's a community of people who all like to share their information and help other people period i mean they it's just a fantastic group of people and just like tony's saying well his his focus is monitoring uh, for disasters it, it, how many people in the world are there like tony who literally on a daily basis is trying to figure out some way that he can help people in in a disaster that isn't even happening yet and that's just the kind of people they are. You shouldn't be afraid. You just you look them up and contact them, and they will help you figure out everything you need to know so that you can be part of this group. And I tell you what, whether you believe it or not, when the crap hits the fan, 
which it's going to sooner than later, I believe. You know, when the crap all hits the fan, it's because of people like Tony that are, you know, they have some kind of infrastructure, some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of preparedness that's yeah. going to help out in these worldwide situations with our, which are coming up. We've had local things, but we're definitely, we've, we've luckily never seen something worldwide uh, in our days, but something worldwide, just like the pandemic now is worldwide, that's not stopping the infrastructure, but uh, disasters worldwide, you're going to you're gonna see more of those, you're going to see them coming, and, uh, you know, whether it's a continent, a state, a city, whatever it is, you have people like Tony dedicated to this kind of stuff, and it's just, it's, it's heartwarming to know that we're not going to be un, uh, non-communicado when the event comes, you know, non-communicado, because that's just scary to think lights out and nobody says anything at that point. You know, Randy is absolutely right. There's people all around the nation, all around the world that are very into helping each other. Um, right here in my zip code, it's a rural area, but there's 109 licensed operators. And at any given time, there's at least 20 people listening on our primary Kulani cone repeater. And every time there's an accident, an earthquake, a storm coming, uh, you know, even when there's traffic on the police scanner that uh, where there's someone in trouble, uh, we know about it. We have a very good situational awareness of everything going on in our community at all times. So it's a like big the watchdog. Yeah. yeah. Well, do we have any final comments on uh, Randy or Wayne? Any final comments on on this fabulous topic? No, I, I, I think that's awesome. That's all I look into it. I'll get my boy to help me get going. Okay. And, and Randy, my my point is, if you're not doing it, start. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's really uh, going to be the last line of defense. I, I, want, I want to add to the importance of this. Um, when I was in Afghanistan, I was pretty isolated. I only knew you know, what people were giving me, what my boss was giving me and stuff like that. Um, and when I got back, and then I knew what I personally observed. When I got back to the U.S. mainland after that, I watched the news, you know, whatever, all of them, CNN or what, I don't know. I don't watch news generally because I, I think it's pretty much propaganda and always has been. But um, I watched every news source I could find, uh, any story about Afghanistan, and it was absolutely clear. Every single one of those news sources, if I heard zero from them, I would know more about what was really happening in Afghanistan than I would after just listening to them. And it's, it's a ham radio is the place where you're going to get the straight information from a person who's actually right there observing it. Who Seeing it live for themselves, yeah. Seeing exactly. it live for themselves. They don't have to, you know, they're, they're not being paid to do a story. They're not, there's no, there, there's no ulterior motive other than uh, tell people the truth about what's going on. And it's, it's a great place for that. The, uh, to really find out what's really happening. It, it, it is, I, in my opinion, the best source there is, even without all of those other things going down. It's, if you're not doing it, you need to do it. Is that wow. 
Wow. Well, that's that's as great of a of a, of a promo that you could get, I think, Tony, right there. Uh, you know, we wanna we wanna thank Tony for coming on. Tony, you're more than welcome to stick around the show. We're gonna switch subjects here. Uh, you know, we're gonna get to a little bit of writing and a little bit more political with Wayne Hill as well. Uh, but if you wanna stick around, that's fine. If not, uh, uh, you know, we we very much thank you for being on the show. And hey. I'd like to invite you again because it's an open topic that's something important that I think that more people need to uh, understand, especially in these times. So, you know, will you come back to the show sometime? Absolutely. I'll stick around here till 8.30 and uh, hear what you guys have to say. Fentanyl. It could be hiding anywhere, including in your house, including in your medicine cabinet, or maybe at a friend's house when you're hanging out, playing games, and get offered a pill. Don't take chances. If a drug didn't come from a pharmacy directly to you, you can find fentanyl using a simple strip you can pick up at your local pharmacy. Don't take it until you test it, because fentanyl can be hiding anywhere. Brought to you by the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Mental Disabilities.